I wasn't gonna kill you, but I'm going to now. Gregory's. Do you prefer yes, Gregory yes. or Greg? Greg, Greg, Greg. Greg absolutely. Right. I go with the full name because there was another guy named Greg Cummins or Gregory Cummins. Okay. So I did the Gregory Scott Cummins just because there was somebody registered with SAG with that name already. And uh, but yeah, it's Greg. Just okay. Greg. Yeah, that was or, actually or, one of my questions. Or or Mr. Goodlook. Mr. Goodlook. Either one. Mr. Good- yeah. yeah. But but just say Greg for now. Okay. I don't want to drive everybody. (laughs) Bill touched a little bit on, we touched a little bit on uh, Hack-O-Lantern. Right. So uh, you already talked about Hack-O-Lantern a little bit. I I just want, so that's how I dug down into the Greg Cummins, Gregory Scott Cummins uh, catalog is I saw Hack-O-Lantern on the last drive-in with Joe Bob Briggs. Uh, You sat through the whole movie. I sat through the whole movie. And so then I, I was like, wow, I've seen that guy on Always Sunny. I've seen him on different things, you know? And then I went down your catalog. And I have to say, most of the, like, even those, like, you you know, you said Hack a Lantern was, you know, a piece of shit, basically. <laughs> there are producers there that I did an interview for it. I didn't say it quite that way, but they're not going to be happy with me saying that. But what can I say? But yeah. everything that you've been in that I've seen, it everything, it makes it better. <laughs> Your character, <laughs> and it might be mostly because of the, how good looking you are. But well, that's true. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's the only reason I watch any of it. You know. <laughs> Uh, Greg, but, like, he's a legit fan. He when he came to me, he's like, "Have you ever seen?" Because I've seen a lot of the movies yeah. that most people haven't. Well, he's younger true. than I. He's getting caught up. He goes, "You got to see this Hackle Man." <laughs> you got to. What was the other one he introduced me to? Blood uh, Games. I loved it. Blood Games. He's like, "You got to see this Blood oh! Games." <laughs> we shot that up in the California Sequoias. Another low budget independent film. Yeah, I, I shouldn't say. I, I, I wasn't union then, so it was not union. And it was just pretty, pretty not as bad as Hack Lantern. <laughs> I own but, Blood Games on uh, Blu-ray. <laughs> you actually spent money on it? And, yeah. and see, you, you're, you're one of these crazy people that likes the, likes the campy <laughs> 80s, low-budget B-movie. You know, that's that's because that's what those are. They're about as low budget, campy, you know, as you could get. But, uh, yeah, well, you know, what can I say? I had to work my way up somewhere, you know. Yeah. And uh, so and we won't we won't talk too much more about Hack a Lantern. But I have to ask, did you have any musical background at all? How did you get involved with the scene with DC LaCroix, the band? I, well, I used to play the guitar and sing, you know, 60 songs at Cal. And 
And, and in Waikiki in Hawaii, uh, when I was out there one summer, I'd be there with the guitar and playing songs. But I don't play uh, lead guitar. And, and that whole thing, I was just... Uh, that was shot for the, uh, the 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 movie, the dream sequence, yeah. and and I was just pretending to play the guitar on that one. I, I wasn't playing. Yeah, incredible. <laughs> Another movie I would like to talk about before we get into the fan questions. Yeah, is uh, what can you tell us about Caged Fury? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's a movie with Eric Estrada, Michael Parks, you and. A ton of porn stars. And I didn't know that at the time. Uh, I had heard maybe that they it turned it into, you know, one of those porn movies later. But they hired me. I shot all my stuff in four days. And they hired me. That also was an in non-union before I became union. And, and I didn't know. There were just a lot of very pretty girls in it. And I played a really <laughs> scary psycho guard who was just taking advantage of him like crazy. And I was a really, really scummy bad guy. Well, you know, I know the guys who produced it, you know, actually, you know, um, there's some Israeli film producers and, uh, but you know what, the girl who played the lead, the female lead, um, you know, I stayed friends with her all these years. So uh, Roxanne, um, uh, it was Michael's then she's going by a different name now. Uh, I didn't know, it was just a job I got hired for, and I did it. But, you know, again, it's it's one of those things you can't always, you know, pick your, your jobs. It's just you just act in something and get paid for it. Right. It's, um, it, you know, it was fun playing a bad guy. I didn't get involved in any, you know, nudity or anything like that, <laughs> stuff like that. So, you know, we, we kind of simulated, you know, some rape scenes, but we didn't really do anything other than, you know, me kind of, going off and pretending but clothes were on and all that stuff i was right. just like really mean and scary you know so it, it, i had I, I must admit i was so scary on that film i i had some makeup and hair people that actually wouldn't come near me to would to do my makeup they <laughs> said i, I don't want to go yeah they 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 were they were like a couple different makeup artists and some of them and they really thought like i was like that in real life you know so i i you know with this you know the the eyes popping and the slick back hair. And, so and are you just, one of the guys? I was just very, very quiet and low key. Are you like just, a, are you a character who's when you're on set? Do you, are you in character? Uh, yeah, most of the time, but not all the time. Depends on the character. I, I wasn't in that character, but just because I wasn't my normal boisterous self, and they didn't know me that long. Uh, they just didn't want to get near me. They they just thought because people, you know, people in life, they, they see you do a bad guy character, play a psycho or somebody really scary or dangerous or does some bad things. And honestly, they think, well, in real life, they go. Maybe the guys really like that or they think, well, he must have some of that in him, <laughs> you know, so maybe I don't want to get to know this person too well. Right. You know, it's kind of like saying they don't know what acting's about. Right. So uh, most of those people, they don't, they're not actors. They haven't trained in acting. They don't understand how you can find a piece of yourself and find some justification to play this very dark, sinister, or evil character. Justify it in your own mind. And, and you might change mannerisms and the way you speak and this and that and become something different than you are. But 
but it's just, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's play acting. Like when you were a kid, you know, it's, uh, it's just, you learn how to just get better at it. So people really believe you're like that. I, I used to have classes where I put somebody out there, like take somebody you really love, like your younger brother or your mother or something. And, and then imagine somebody killing her. And then you do a scene with someone and then you imagine they just killed someone you love. You just put it in your mind. But then if you really want to get scary and you really want to get sadistic, then you imagine, well, they didn't just kill my mom, but they tortured her slowly and they cut her toes off and fingers off one by one. And she suffered greatly before she died. And then all of a sudden, then then your character doesn't want to just kill somebody, but he wants to enjoy it a little bit and savor it and really make them suffer. You know, and so you you play these games in your mind. So you're justified in your mind. Other people don't know what you're thinking. So you come across like, holy crap, this guy is sick, you know, but but in your mind as an actor, that's what we do as actors is we create scenarios that allow us to do things that, uh, you know, we we obviously don't do in real life. But, uh, you know, yeah. So that's the kind of character that was in Caged Fury. Cage yeah. Fury is a movie. It's available on Amazon Prime, and I downloaded it. Uh, I fly <laughs> for work every multiple times a week, and uh, I started yeah. watching it on the plane. And I was like, eh, "I better not watch. <laughs> I better not let anybody else see me watching this on a plane." Oh, you had it didn't show on a plane. No, 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 no. movie. Yeah, no, yeah. So you took it privately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's a it's a dark movie and low budget, and you know it's got the the bad acting that goes with it, you know, and all that stuff. But because uh, you, know, you shoot it fast and quick, and you just do the best you can. Could you imagine you're on a Delta flight and they say, "Hello, ladies and gentlemen, tonight's movie is going to be Caged Fury." <laughs> oh, no. Holy shit! What what would happen no. in that plane? No, no, no. In fact, the only the first movie that I did that didn't have a lot of swear words in it, you know, that actually aired on planes was, uh, well, actually cliffhanger. If you, I think there was a little language in cliffhanger that they edited out, but then also another movie called last of the Dogmen. I was only in the first 20 minutes of it, uh, directed by tab Murphy, a great writer who wrote gorillas in the midst. I don't know if you know that. And he's a writer and he directed, uh, last of the Dogmen. That's another one of the great films that I did. I, I wasn't on it long enough to really be involved with the entire shooting of the production, but everybody was so great. And that was another Canadian Rockies we shot and the mountains in Mexico. It was incredible, but it is a movie called last of the Dogmen, And, uh, that was, uh, that yeah, that's showing, actually on my list here to ask you about. That was showing on an airplane. Yeah, and I really enjoyed that. And, and I'm still very good, close with uh, Tab. And he just a wonderful guy. Everybody on that show. See, that was another great set I was on. And we were in the mountains of Cuernavaca, uh, up in the mountains outside of Mexico City. And then we moved, and there was a delay. And then we shot in the Canadian Rockies, up by Canmore and Banff and Lake Louise. And, and uh, oh, my God, it was beautiful. And just the crew was great. It was just a wonderful adventure. Yeah, so I was just a great thing to be part of. But, you know, when you're sitting on a plane, you see it in a, you know, it's kind of cool. You know, it's like, 
and then your stuff come to your scenes comes up and you just kind of look around. You just, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah, I missed the premiere of Cliffhanger. So I remember going and seeing it in a movie theater and then it showed on a plane, too. And I just kind of slipped in the back and, you know, you don't go to just say, hey, that's me, you know, <laughs> but I was with somebody who jumped up and say, that's my friend, you know, and then, you know, and then then I stopped doing that. But then I, you go with a hat on, you know, and you just kind of. You know, it's kind of fun when you see yourself up on screen and you're in a big blockbuster and you're kind of cringing because you don't know how it's going to come out. You haven't seen it before. You know, even with the screening, you know, you don't know. Uh, am I going to be horrible? You know, you don't know. But yeah. um, So you mentioned uh, you got into acting to be an actor just because of acting you because you well, love so much. And it's weird. Like we talked to other people and they got into acting because they want to be. Tom Cruise or they want to be, you know, whoever's well, famous, you know? Yeah, no, no. I, I, I got into acting too for, I mean, uh, mine's not, uh, basically because I had to do something that I enjoyed doing that I was passionate about after sports was over at 25. You know, I, I plan on being a pro baseball or football player until I was 38 or 40. And when that didn't quite work out after a couple of years after college, then I, searched around and then I, I had done acting through school but uh I, I enjoyed being on the football team at Cal and being the punter my freshman and sophomore year redshirted my junior year but I I took acting classes because I I enjoyed acting because I did it in junior high and I had some success at it you know I was I had a, a little gift for it and then I just started doing it and doing it and taking classes and doing plays and and then I transferred to the University of Hawaii and then had some classes with a great teacher there who was uh, Lawrence Olivier's understudy at the Royal Shakespeare Company for 15 years and a closest friend and uh, Terrence Snap, he passed away. But uh, I started getting leads on main stage productions and you doing Shakespeare and and uh, all that stuff. And th- I was playing football in Hawaii, too. But I liked the camaraderie of people's opening, sharing their emotions and and. You know, because when you're playing in sports, you don't, you know, it's a ma- macho thing. It's, you know, you're, it's a team sport. I enjoy the team atmosphere of sports, uh, you know, and, 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 and a great bond you get with people. But I had that with the acting, but in a different way. I was able to be closer to people in a way because you're sharing emotions. You're crying. You're, you're doing emotional scenes and you, you develop a camaraderie. And that's why I love theater. And, and then doing professional theater. And then I went to the master's acting program when the sports ended at 25. So I went at 27 to 29. I did the uh, master's in acting in UCLA. Become very close with the people that you're working with for two years. And then you're close with the, your plays. You rehearse for a month and then you run it for a period of time. And you're just really close. You bond with people. So I I loved doing that. It was the only other thing that I really loved other than sport was acting in college. I, I, I was very unhappy. I was very successful in sales and did other jobs and did a lot of menial labor jobs and stuff and waiting jobs. But but I, I, I was very successful selling insurance, but I just, I wasn't happy. And then I, I said, well, you know, I'm going to go and study. If I'm going to be a professional actor, I, I better go study and, and not just do it for fun, but really take it seriously. And uh, I, I got some good method training, which got me to, you know, work out uh, from the inside out, you know, be honest all the time. And because uh, the classical theater is kind of like kind of working from the outside in, 
at least that's that was my training uh, and uh, and so I felt more capable of uh, uh, of getting into the business and and then uh, but it, the the business to me is if I was in a theater in Albuquerque, New Mexico, making four hundred dollars a week for the rest of my life, I made that uh, that that was going to make me happy because uh, you know my mom taught me a long time ago she had this work hundred hour weeks for 25 years. Cause my dad, dad got cancer and he didn't die uh, when I was six years old, but he, he was disabled the rest of his life. They, they didn't know how to treat cancer then. And he was completely destroyed. So she raised four boys on her own and did something she didn't like uh, a lot of the years, 25 years. She worked hundred hour weeks, uh, seven days a week, took one week off a year and she killed herself. And so when it came to me, you know, she just, you know, she was very supportive. My dad didn't understand it, but you know, she she said, do something you enjoy. Life is short. If you can make a living off something that you have a passion for, then you're greatly blessed. It's not about money. And it wasn't about, I didn't get in it to be famous or to make a fortune or whatever. I just wanted to make a living off of something that I enjoyed doing. And that was my goal. And once I realized in theater that uh, although I can sing a little bit, but I mean, I'm not like a singer singer. You know, that 75% of the theater in uh, repertory theaters around the country or you know, community theaters, whatever, musicals and Broadway and all that, that you better know how to sing if you want to make a living year round. <laughs> um, doing, but doing straight plays, whether they're comedy or dramas uh, and non musical plays, what I call straight plays, then I had to come back to film. And, and, uh, and I did. And I came back to LA and I started working the non union films and working my way up. And, uh, you know, just going to these auditions through the Drama Log, which was a magazine that had auditions for non union films. And then you start to get film on yourself and work your way up. And eventually I got my first union film, smaller roles, but lead roles in the low budget independent films. But then once I got in the union stuff, the better stuff, I had to kind of work my way up in that too. And then you start making, and then finally making a living. And that happened pretty quickly for me though. I did uh, like eight films in like a year and a half, you know, all this low budget films. And then I started, you know, getting union and, and, and then I started playing bad guys because of my height and, and I, I couldn't get sidekick roles on running series for, for many, many years. Uh, yeah. So I, I didn't do it to become famous or rich. I, I did it because I enjoyed doing it. And, I, and the, camaraderie, the camaraderie of the people that I work with is really the important thing to me. I mean, you want to do a good job. You want people to appreciate your work. You want to do as well as you can and be successful, you know, but my goal was always to make a living. And I've appreciated the career because it's the bonding with people that I've worked with. That is the whole reason why it means a lot to me. It's not just the work. It's it's working with a group of people to create a a product, a show that's good, whether it's theater on stage or whatever. It was the same thing with sports. We practice, we work as a group, you do your job, but then everybody's got a job and you work as a team, whether it's football or baseball or basketball. And then you have this camaraderie you develop, this, this bond, you know, that, that you can't really get with anything else except maybe wartime, but that's, that's a whole other thing, but, but it's this bond that's created. And, and that's what got me into it. Uh, that's why I enjoyed it. And, and so, and that, and that's why I wanted to do it professionally when the sports ended. So that was my goal. Yeah. All right. And luckily for 36 years, I've been able to 
make a I call myself a, a blue collar actor. I'm not rich. Yeah. I'm not famous, you know, like the big movie stars. Otherwise I'd be rich, but I've managed to make a living all these years. And, and uh, that to me was always my goal. You know, if anything else happened beyond that, that would be fine. But that was always my goal, you know, so. Sure. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Now we're going to get into some fan questions here. Okay. <laughs> from Reddit, from the always uh, sunny in Philadelphia Reddit page. Yes. The question is uh, from Are You Not Alone? I'd like to know, is there any particular scene or line in Always Sunny that you particularly had difficulty getting through because it was just too funny? Basically, <laughs> were there, basically, were there any lines that broke you? Yes, but not my lines. Their lines. Okay? Uh, you know, it's really hard. You learn this fact that you stay concentrated, okay? And, and when you break up, I mean, you can't do it on stage. You have to you know, if it's funny, you still have to keep a straight face. But when you're going through rehearsal and people are coming up with new little things that you've never seen before, you know, my acting teacher would kill us if we broke up. But, you know, in, in graduate school. But, you know, the, the reality is, you know, I would do my thing that they would crack up with when they see me do something the first time. Like, like you know, what do you guys know about smuggling heroin through your anus? Huh? You know, and, you know, just stuff like that. And they didn't expect me to do it like that. And they're just like on the floor, you know, but I'm playing it seriously. I'm just, you know, I'm just playing. a, am uh, playing a bad guy who thinks I can get something for my son. So I'm going to say, you know, or, you know, do not come back here without anything up those asses. And I really mean it. But to them, that was funny. Well, their reactions, you know, to me. You know, so sometimes they would, Robert would do something or, or Charlie would do something and it would be just hilarious. And, and, or Charlie would do something and Rob and I would fall off the table and crack up. And then we'd do it again without cracking up, you know. And then so that's kind of the way that show is shot because they do a lot of ad living on the show and they write the characters, they write all the episodes. So they're free and open to changing and adding things as we go along if it's funny. So, yes, I uh, I don't crack up when I do my lines, but everybody cracks up at each other before we maybe get another take in where they do it the same way. And then everybody keeps a straight face. But it's hard sometimes on that show because those guys and uh, Caitlin and uh, and Rob and, and Glenn and and Charlie and Danny uh, are so funny. You know, they're so funny that it's just yeah. It's, so it's. Uh, it's hard to keep a straight face. Especially I, not, I don't know how any of you do it. Uh, Danny DeVito is so ridiculous on that show. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you know, when I did the show, I, I had played a, just a small role. I did a one-liner on Batman Returns and was there for a lot of background scenes. But uh, the guy who hired me just said, uh, you know, uh, they paid me a lot of money to just be hanging around for 13 weeks. Uh, uh, a guy that hired me, Max Clevin, just took me into Tim Burton because like 100 stuntmen read that line and he didn't like it. So he brought me in, who was like an actor because they wanted a stuntman for the role. But uh, why did I bring that up? Danny DeVito. Uh, he had four hours of makeup to get into that penguin costume. Wow. And so I would sit next to him for about, a, about a 50 minutes every day, every day, you know, for about four months. And so I reminded him, he, I, I'm sure he probably didn't remember me because I was in makeup. I looked different and goatee beard and all that. But I reminded him of that. And he said, oh, God, that was a tough job. Yeah, because he had to be in four hours of makeup every day. And then it took about two and a half hours to take it off every day. So it was uh, that was that was a tough one for him. And then but shooting definitely. in it all day. 
being in the mm. costume for mm. a long time. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Stuff. <laughs> yeah. Stuff. But he's he's very funny. He's uh, he's hilarious, you know, and he's quite a character, but he's a good guy, good businessman. But Charlie and the other guys uh, and 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 Rob and, and Glenn and Caitlin they're just just funny all the time. I mean, they, they're serious sometimes, but they, they they just it's just a big funny party shooting that show. It's and it comes across, I think, on, on this, you know, uh, on every episode. You know, yeah. it just you know, it just comes across. You know, so yeah. it's but that's been a great project to be a part of. I I just am very blessed that I got involved with them. We did the first season. I I did the. I think the last episode in the second season, and I just had a one day job. They, they, and they just, Oh, first or second season. Yeah. When Danny got involved in the second season and, uh, and then they got another season and they said, you know what? We like uh, we liked the uh, Max dad's character. Let's, let's write him in again. And then the next season, let's, let's write a two parter for him this season. And, and so it was really nice that they added me and, and, uh, and, uh, and then uh, uh, my son's character, Rob, uh, or Mac, Mac's dad. Um, uh, he he uh, a lot of his character development was related to his relationship with his father. So um, even though I might not have been on screen all the time, they were always referring to me, you know, about being hard or badass or whatever. Yeah. But, uh, so we have uh, another uh, few questions here for uh, for Always Sunny Merle yeah. Gornick. I think she's a friend of yours from uh, yeah. Hawaii. Yeah. She would like to know uh, how different was it playing Luther on Always Sunny compared to Crate uh, on Bosch? Well, they're two completely different characters. That are two different, completely types of shows. I mean, Sunny is a very high-level farcical comedy, you know, and Bosch is a little more based in honest reality. It's a serious show, and the character of Crate and Barrel is. They show a little more humor occasionally, which is nice to give a break to the audience to get a little relief out there. And it's fun for us to play, but it, but it's a serious show. So it's two completely different characters. It's just still acting, but it's, it's two completely different, uh, you know, types of shows. Yeah. But in when we're not shooting, the group is just as fun to be around on Bosch. And and the joking and the playing with each other and teasing each other and all that. That's kind of the same on Bosch, because we do a lot of that on Bosch. But, you know, but when we're playing in character, you know, the show is a lot more serious. I mean, it's a great show. I think it's for six years, it's been the number one watch show on Amazon Prime. Yeah. Um, from its from when it started in the first season, and it's still held up through the sixth season. And I hope the uh final season that comes out shortly will be the same way. Yeah, know? it's a great uh, show. When when the pandemic started, uh, I was off of work for eight weeks, and my girlfriend yeah. and I were looking for things to watch, and uh, Bosch was one of those series that yeah. we, we we went through. Well, do you want to watch another one? Yeah, let's watch another yeah. one. And we, we got through all six seasons, and we're looking forward to the... Yeah, it really grabs you. You know, it, yeah. it grabs you, and, and it's intense. And, and through the first four seasons, the, the trauma that Bosch goes through, uh, Titus Welliver, I mean, God, the job he does is incredible. He carries the show. I mean, everybody's a great actor in that show. I mean, really, there's so many great actors on that show. 
to the series regulars, to the supporting actors they bring into guest starring actors, and uh, which I'm considering kind of guest starring recurring. But uh, it, it's uh, but it, it's just you know the, the trauma he goes through emotionally through the first four seasons with trying to find out who killed his mom, dealing with murder cases, and then all of a sudden. I don't want to give things away for people that haven't seen it, but something happens to another loved one of his. And then, you know, he's dealing with that. And then, you know, that goes through some really heavy emotional stuff and, and it's intense. It just grabs you. You know, it really grabs you Two completely different types of things. So when we're shooting, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. It's a completely different character and I'm playing. So it's designed to be a comedy so we're just cracking up all the time. And when we're shooting it, we're cracking up uh, because somebody will ad lib and throw something else out that nobody expected. And every, everybody's on the floor. And then you just, you know, so uh, too complete. I do enjoy comedy, you know, shooting comedy is, is fun, you know, all the time, you know, so uh, I do enjoy that. A lot of laughing that goes on. But Bosch is just like this guy, just, you know, it's the, they're just different, uh, different shows. Bosch is just an incredible show to be involved with. And it's just a whole different, it's, well, it's like the difference between, you know, I don't know how well, but everybody knows Shakespeare, but you know, you got your, you've got your histories, you've got your tragedies and you've got your comedies, you know, and, you know, Hamlet is a, a drama tragedy and, and you know, it's, it's a difference between acting and Hamlet. Uh, or acting and playing Benedict and Much Ado About Nothing, like I did, or Orlando and As You Like It, or any of the other comedy. It's just, you know, doing comedies is really fun. And uh, there's a lot more laughter, but uh, there's a lot to be said for also making somebody cry and uh, drama when you can hear a pin drop and the audience is just in the palm of your hand. You know, it's just uh, so it's both. They're both equally um, rewarding. Awesome. Yeah, hi, both, Merle. Both great shows. I'd say, I just have to say hi, Merle. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's see. Pastel Mermaid would like to know, uh, I'm really curious to know how Luther was written to feel towards Mac. It seems like it's different every time. Mm. Well, yeah, that, that's uh, the way I read it when I did the first episode where I was in jail. Originally, I was going to be somebody that killed six people and I was never going to let, get let out of prison. So they ended up editing that stuff out after we shot the scene so they could bring me back another season. It would be legitimate. So they kind of left everything in to make me more of a drug dealer instead of the, like the six, you know, a, somebody who murdered six people. Basically, I saw Matt originally. As somebody that I really, because I'm a not a nice character, there's nobody redeeming on that show anyway, right? So right. nobody, <laughs> nobody. So I'm just a dangerous scumball who will basically use anybody, including my son. And that's why when he comes in and he first sees me in the episode of the second season, uh, you know, I'm just basically, yeah, what do you want? You know, what do you want? You know, I don't give, you know, I mean. You know, yeah, yeah. Until I think I can use them for something. And then it's, oh, yeah, you know, uh, you know, I'm running a little business in here. And I, I've been thinking of expanding. I need some people on the outside, some really badass, tough guys. You know, what do you guys know about smuggling heroin through your anus? So I pretend to be, you know, I want to use him. I don't give a shit about him. You know, that's right. really the way I played it. 
And but I'm using him. So I'll act like I might be nice because he's so desperately wants to have a relationship with his dad. And what makes it funny is I'm his dad, Luther, and I really don't give a shit, you know. So, you know, and that's where the humor comes from and the sadness, too. There's a sadness that comes. So over time, it's kind of continued. Uh, and then I made efforts in, in scenes and other seasons to to try to be nice to him, but he didn't know it. You know, maybe take him to the ball game. He finds out when he thinks I'm out killing people that I actually was going to take him out of state to the ball game. And then all of a sudden he reported me for something and I get taken out to jail because I think I went to another state to buy tickets and broke my parole. So then every time I get involved with him, I get a little madder, a little madder at him because he keeps putting me back in jail. And then one time he came to jail in another episode trying to keep me from getting out and he's lying about it but i taped him and then i found out that they were said they were going to lie to try to keep me from getting out of jail and that was that thing where i you know i i go out they think i'm trying to kill them for two episodes <laughs> and and so it just kind of go and then i kind of said okay i'll go out go to mexico and you know i i'm, I'm angry at you but you know i don't want to but they thought i was going to kill them for two episodes so they did all this crazy stuff so it's just kind of gotten you know progressively worse over time. So I get a little angrier and a little angrier, a little less impatient. And that's where the humor comes from. And then he desperately needs, desperately needs. But the last episode we did in the 13th season, 14th season, you know, he kind of found himself and I don't know where it's going to go from here, but he kind of, he kind of doesn't, he needed my affection, but then all of a sudden he did that dance sequence and, and then all of a sudden he kind of found himself, you know, being gay and not needing dad's approval, at least for a at least for a while. But we'll see, because when I thought that he's going to have a son, I even said to him, you know, I really don't care about you, but but having a son, you know, and he goes, well, I'm your son, too. And I go, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, but, uh, you know, so that that's where the humor comes from is like, I think maybe he's just too much of a, a wuss because I'm a badass. And so I, I never really, you know, we ran around stealing presents for Christmas and stuff like that when he was a kid, but he never turned into the, you know, the badass son that I had wanted, you know? And I think that's the way it's played. He desperately needs love from his father because his father is a jerk, obviously, and doesn't really care about him, you know? But then yeah. if he has a chance to use him, you know, then he'll pretend he cares about him for a while, right. you know, until, you know, uh, so that's that's pretty much how the thing progressed over time. But I initially started playing him that way because I, I, I had to develop something that was real to make me. Why would this guy be such a jerk to his son? So I had to create with the lines, you know, some reason for it underneath. And that's what I created is that. I really don't care about my son. And then that would also enhance the thing that was written for him is that why he desperately needs to connect with his father, probably because he didn't get much love from his dad, which he didn't. Right. And then we just kind of went from there. And then they just kind of add things as seasons went along. And I, I didn't know. We didn't know if we were going to have a third season or a fourth season or a fifth season. Right. So they just kind of kept adding things as they kept getting picked up. And so that's it on that. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. One last always sunny question, and then we'll move yep. on. And I only have a few more after that. Uh, we, we got this question a lot. Yeah. And you've done it a few times during the episode. So I don't think that it's anything that anybody does. The question. Oh, not was, blinking? Yeah. And the question was, how do you, do they do anything to your eyes to, no. to stop you from blinking? Or, like, no, but it I, just seems I, like you can not blink for a while. No, I I blink like crazy in real life, uh, seriously, because I, I uh, people don't know I had uh, uh, I, I used to do little grunts until I was a teenager, I, and then blink a lot. It's like I had a mild version of Tourette's, but they didn't really diagnose it when I was young, and then the grunting went away. <laughs> I used to make those sounds all the time, and teachers would kick me out of class, and then I'd I'd be blinking like like, like crazy. But then, you know, I go through these periods of blinking a lot. But when I'm focused, when I used to play sports, you know, and the ball's coming and played, or I'm going to catch the football and go punt it or whatever, or play, you know, I'm a shortstop waiting for a ground ball or, you know, pitches coming. I, I, when I'm focused on something, I don't blink. But the minute I stop focusing on something in real life, I blink. So when I'm in character, when I'm acting, I don't blink so much if I'm focused on what I'm doing. If I'm listening and I'm talking to somebody and I'm doing that, I don't blink a lot. <laughs> but when when my focus just goes a little you know, off and, and I'm just a little more casual on me and I'm not like really focused in. So that's what I do is I just focus. They started writing it into the character just because they saw that I just wasn't blinking a lot. And then when I would do those things where I get really angry and the eyes would just pop out like this, you know. And I just like be holding this and, you know, huh? Huh? You know, and all that. And then, then they wrote it into the script that I don't blink. And then I started to have to do longer scenes without blinking. And then it was harder, but you just have to stay focused and uh, make sure when the camera's on you, you don't blink, you know, but I don't think about that. I'm thinking about something else. Cause if I think about not blinking, then I'll blink, you know, but uh, yeah, it's totally just, uh, it's just, it's just focus. I, I have to keep my eyes really moist. And, and uh, you know, obviously there are people that go long periods of time without blinking. I'm not one of them, but Luther is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, let's see. All right. Our friend, Michael Ortiz, he's a, our Patreon member. And if anyone wants to sign up for our Patreon, they can go to uh, patreon.com slash deluxe edition pod. Michael's not able to be here with us tonight, but uh, he wants to know a little more about your time on Cliffhanger. Oh, that that was just an amazing film. And I didn't even have to audition. I was doing Batman Returns, and I walked in, and I thought I was going to audition, and Rennie Harlan was sitting there, and, and he just just said hello, and, and uh, can you, he said, can you do an Austrian accent if you want? And I go, yeah. And he said, okay. And I walked out. We got a call and said, you got the job. And I went, I've had to audition for everything. But for some reason, they had heard about some things I did before. And they and then I fit, you know, category, whatever, is a bad guy. And, and then I came back and met Stallone. And that was the official hire. But it was a great job. You know, they took all of that to Cortina di Impezzo in the Italian Alps, uh, way up high. And then we climbed or choppered up to different mountaintops, uh, you know, 13,500 feet. And they we trained with mountain climbers who all had been climbed Everest, and they assigned one to every actor. And because I was usually furthest away from camera or second furthest away, which meant when we were climbing, I would have to go farthest down 
for every shot and then come up as we're coming up. Uh, we're doing any climbing scenes or anything like that. But they worked with us for a week before we started shooting for safety because they would put all the bolts uh, into the ropes and the crevices and the cracks and test everything. And then they kept one uh, mountain climber for each actor, you know, so we would be safe. I got, I I got over my fear of heights doing that film. I was completely unafraid of heights after that film. It just, because I I was focused on, you know, what you focus on. And they said, just never forget where you are. So going into the movie cliffhanger, you were afraid of heights. Oh yeah. 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 Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't, I didn't do a roller coaster until I was like, 17 or something and then i was still scared to death santa cruz roller coaster well i mean i think most people are to some degree but i got that at 36 years old and my dad had just died and then i got in the film and then i'm up and then all of a sudden you know everybody else was like holy shit you know i mean it's like you know they they were more than a little concerned and uh and for some reason i just got used to it real quick and and then i I wasn't scared. I, I was secure with the, you know, the the things, the the ropes and the and the nylon that was holding us, and the, and I just from then on I came back, and every time I go up to a high height or I'm in a, I'm just not afraid of heights anymore. But yeah, it was just a great experience. A great group of guys. We were in the snows, choppering to different mountaintops, or we'd we'd go up the tops of ski slopes, and then we would climb up or they would do chopper big cameras down and have avalanches coming over us. It was wild. It was, uh, it was really up there in the mountains. And then there was three months in the mountains. And then three months we went to the studios in, uh, in Rome, Chinichita. And then they rebuilt sets of the mountains. And so anytime you see the close-ups where we're up in the mountains, that was shot in the studio. But it was just an incredible adventure. I still talk to people who are on the film occasionally. I'll run into, I used to run into John Lithgow, who was the lead bad guy on the film. And, and I'd, I'd be working on Warner Brothers or doing this. I remember when he had Third Rock from the Sun, and I'd run into him all the time on the lot. you know. And I'd just look at him and i go, was that the most incredible film that we did at Cliffhanger? And he just goes, still to this day. That, yeah, that never had an experience like that. It was the most amazing adventure. It really was amazing. And um, Stallone had said it during the audition. He said, wait until you get there. <laughs> he said, this is going to be the adventure of your life in it. And it really was. It was amazing to be a part of that. Yeah. That's amazing awesome. Movie. That's yeah. Great. Yeah. I just oh, yeah. recently watched it. Like I said, I've been going down the Gregory Scott Cummins uh, rabbit hole. And uh, that was <laughs> one of the ones that was one of the ones I was actually able to watch on the flight. It was a, I felt yeah. okay watching that on a plane. And that was my first kind of supporting lead. Cause it wasn't just supporting. They actually had my name up front in the film that, and, and it was a big budget film that I actually got, you know, credits up front in a, big budget a grade film you know at the time you know it was uh it was a you know an a grade big budget action they spent more on that film at the time 105 million than any film that had been done previously but again that was in 1992 that we shot it actually 93 spring of 93 and it came out may i'm sorry spring of 92 and then it came out uh may of 93 so uh, 
So that that's, you know, now they're spending way more than 105 million on films. But yeah. at that time, that was a lot of money. Yeah. A lot of money. You know, that was just great. I have uh, another question here of my own that I forgot about. Um, mm-hmm. The movie Switchback. Yes. Great movie. What, it was. A, like, and, what and happened you know, with the what happened? Well, <laughs> Basically, what why, happened with, why did it not make? Why do you think it didn't make money? Was there was it not distributed right or? I don't know. You know, the same people produced that, I think, who produced with Tab, who, who directed Tab uh, Murphy, who directed uh, Last of the Dogmen and wrote Gorillas in the Mist. Uh, and uh, did a lot of rights for a lot of uh, stuff for Disney over the years. But uh, that film, um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's because they just gave it a very limited release in theaters. The, I mean, you got Dennis Quaid and Danny Glover. I mean, that, that should be enough. Yeah, that should be enough to draw an audience. Yeah. And uh, it was definitely a dark film. It was a thriller film. You know, and and my role was just two scenes, but they were kind of memorable. You know, yeah, they were for Danny, sure. <laughs> and uh, but you know, but the film was about Dennis Quaid's character was chasing this uh, serial killer. Yeah. Who? Well, I'm giving it away, but it turns out yeah. to be Danny Glover. You know, I I thought it was I thought it was good. I know? thought it was but, great. You know, but I I don't know. I don't know why it didn't play in theater longer. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I know you're not in control of any of that stuff, but yeah, you know, but you you just never know. I mean, you just, you know, sometimes a film comes out and then maybe they didn't get enough people come and see it for a period of time. And then it just, they just stopped airing and then moved it to video or TV. I think video first and they make money on that. And then they make money when it goes to TV and then they show it in other countries abroad too. So they yeah. make money abroad. So, you know, they called cliffhanger a failure because it only made 300 million in a year uh, in uh, or in less than a year in the U S but you know, they spent 105 million and then a lot of money advertising, but they, they, don't, they don't count that it made $1.2 billion worldwide in just theatrical release. Right. Worldwide in theaters. And then you add the years of residuals, uh, you know, payments for video for going to cable stations, Showtime, Cinemax, HBO. And then and then it goes to uh, d- d- uh, video rental and then it goes to TV. So it's got a long shelf life. They make a lot of money off those films yeah. if they're successful. But uh, I, I know the people for Switchback made money. Uh, it just uh, it didn't air that long in theaters, you know, I guess. But uh, but I think a lot of people have seen it over the years because it did air on all the cable stations a decent amount. And it mm-hmm. aired on, uh, you know, the video rentals and TV. But, uh, you know. Yeah, if, I if you haven't seen it, go. Uh, I think go, it would have done much. I think it would have done much better if my role were much larger. Oh, absolutely. Uh, because then because of my incredible good looks, you know, it would have attracted a lot more women, you know. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, so, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, that's I told Stallone and Cliffhanger. This is <laughs> I joke constantly about it because I've been joking about the good looking thing all my career. So it's just that's my little running joke with people. 
but it's not a joke. It's serious. But I, but yeah, but I, I said I died two thirds of the way through the movie or three quarters of the way through the movie or something like that. And I kept saying during that scene, we take three days to shoot the fighting down the, uh, the ice and snow. And we're I'm on the bottom and fighting and he's on the top and he's on the bottom and I'm on top. And I kept saying, you know, you, this is such a mistake. I said. You know, the, the minute I die and fall over this gully in the movie, I said, you know, you're good. All the women are just going to leave the theaters. I said, you don't. I'm saying this to Stallone now. I said, you don't think they're going to stay to the end just because of you, do you? I said, it's a mistake. You should have me die towards the end of the movie. I well, said, it's, it's a mistake, you know, but, you know. It's unfortunate because I every movie that you're in, I don't know the ending of them because you die <laughs> <laughs> and then I just stopped watching. So, well, yeah, no, that that was definitely worth it to stay to the end. But that's that was my little running joke uh, uh, that came out of my, my making a, a a joke about Switchback being uh, being on it longer. But uh, <laughs> but no, that's uh, that, that's uh, uh, I I don't know. But but I I thought it was a good film. I thought it was a good. I was proud to be in it. Yeah, know? great movie. You know? All right. Yeah. One last question. And I'm not going to go as dark as Bill did with his, uh, his final question of yeah. being on the deathbed, but I would <laughs> like to know what are you most proud of in your career that you would want mm-hmm. people to go back and see that maybe they haven't seen yet? Well, I don't know what everybody has seen and what they haven't seen, but I have to say, uh, my film career, because you can't go back and watch things I did in theater, obviously. There were things in theater that I wish a lot of people saw that I, I was very proud of. But I, you know, it's got to be Bosch, you know, and, and not everybody's seen Bosch. If you haven't seen Bosch, you just got to see it. I, you know, I, I'm not one of the series regulars, but I, uh, me and my partner, uh, Troy Evans, plays Barrel, so Crate and Barrel. We're, we're two characters in it that are supporting, uh, that are recurring. And we added, you know, a little lightness to some of the scenes. And But then we get serious in other seasons. And and, 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 and we're definitely, you know, tough, long-time detectives, old-school, long-time detectives. And I just think it's just the greatest project I've been involved with uh, in terms of, um, you know, that I've worked on for a longer period of time. I mean, I, I obviously cliffhangers good last of the dog men's good, you know, but my roles are smaller in those. And, uh, you know, this is seven seasons coming up on Bosch. And uh, I just think it's just such a, a high quality project from beginning to end with so many great actors. And the show is so good. And, and Titus who carries us all is incredible on it. And, uh, yeah, I get to work with Troy Evans as my partner, and that has been just a great blessing to me. It, it reminds me of uh, the old theater days, only I've got to do it for seven years, where I just really work closely with somebody, get to know them well. And Troy is just a, a, a joy to work with, and he's a joy as a person, you know, and uh, we just get along. I, I just, you know, it, the, the show, the relationship with all the people in the show, and and the writers and the producers and uh, everybody it's just uh, that's what i that's what i i'd probably say that's the project i'm most proud of to date we'll see what happens in the future but uh, that's 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 say and and i'd say watch it's always sunny in philadelphia i i'd say watch cliffhanger watch last of the dog men you know that kind of thing too but uh, 
there's about there's a lot of TV shows that you don't see anymore because they're not rerun. That uh, I've had episodes in where I played bad guys that I was proud of this or that. But as far as just a, a overall piece of work on one project, you know, definitely it has to be Bosch. You know, it has to be that, and because it's a it's a body of work for that I was able to do on the show to be part of, and, and it's just a great show. Everybody, if you haven't seen it, you gotta you gotta watch it. The first season will hook you, and then you just each season will hook you more and hook you more and hook you more. It just gets better and better every year. I mean, it's just That's the truth. I can I can attest to that. It's, yeah, uh, we did it. We did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of that way. And uh, I, I have some favorite shows that I haven't been in. You know, but. Uh, you know, Bosch is now up there in my my favorite show. I happen to be on it, but I'm a fan of the show too. Yeah, you know, I'm a fan. I I love Homeland. I love uh, the Sopranos. I, I I loved 24 when it was on. Uh, Bosch is right up there with all of those. You know, to me, and th- those are some of the and uh, Breaking Bad. You know, I just there are just some shows that are special. You know, and and I think Bosch is in the category category with those. You know. Yeah, absolutely, man. Gregory, yeah. this has been fantastic, man. I appreciate it. You guys are great. I we, mean, uh, I, I watch- so the, one other question we got a lot of, yeah. and I actually have this question as well. Is there a place where people can send their DVDs such as Blood Games to have you autograph them? Oh, well, I, I can give out my mailing address. Can we, uh, or or, or could, could they contact you through your website? Yeah, well, yeah, that's that's what I was going to give them. Yes, I have, uh, you know, it's www.gregoryscottcummins, G-R-E-G-O-R-Y-S-C-O-T-T-C-U-M-M-I-N-S.com, gregoryscottcummins.com. And I've got demo reels up there, on-set photos, resumes, pictures, on-set, uh, you know, uh, basically a lot of stuff. And I communicate with people on that. Plus, I have an email off that, but uh, which is uh, gsc at gregoryscottcummins.com. But uh I can just tell you right now, if you want to get something autographed, just mail it with a self-addressed stamped envelope or package to uh, uh, my mailing address. And I, I don't mind giving it out online. It's uh, uh, should I give my address out online? I was uh, going to say you are one brave not. man to do that. It, well, it's not my home address. It's a okay. mailing address. Uh, then, yeah, that, yeah, then it's OK. You know, I, I don't mind people mailing stuff to my mailing address. And if they have a request or something, just uh, put it in a self-addressed uh, stamped envelope. If you want a picture, put a request in there and give me a self-addressed stamped envelope. If, if you want a DVD, want to send it, send me something to return it to you so I don't have to pay for shipping. Because I do send a lot of stuff like that out, but it adds up. I do have headshots and lithographs here to, to give to people and sign to people as well if they don't have one that they can't download online or whatever. I have my uh, official website where you can download any photos you want and I can sign any of them. Just uh, send it with a self-addressed stamped uh, envelope or, or package or whatever and I'll uh, sign it. And If you want to tell me what to say, uh, uh, you know, I can say that or I can just uh, make something up, you know, so... Uh, and it depends on, you know, what they might like a character that I played. I'll put something in character or whatever, you know. That's awesome. Uh, man. I like communicating with the fans because, uh, you know, I'm not 
I'm not a famous, you know, huge movie star. You know, I'm just a blue collar actor. So I, uh, you know, for me, communicate, I have a Facebook page and uh, I, I, uh, I enjoy communicating with fans, uh, people that are appreciative. It's, uh, it's flattering to me. If I were up on a higher level, I would have, you know, hundreds of thousands or maybe millions of followers and that that would then you can't you can't communicate with everybody when you right. have that people. So then then they have to hire people to help you with communicating with people from the public. But yeah, I'm not at that level. So, you know, just, yeah, mail oh, me. Look, Greg, you, you may not be the most famous, but no best looking. Thank you. In Thank Hollywood. you. Uh, when we finish this, you give me a call on your phone. Text me and I will mail you a check because basically <laughs> to say that on the air. I, I need to give you about 20 or 30 bucks. Uh, yeah. Every time somebody says I'm good looking, uh, I, I'll uh, slip you a little, little, little money on the side. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I can it. do this every hour if that's. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Or, or just let's do a running tap, you know, just, you can just do a running tap. <laughs> and, deal. Uh, All right. Yeah. That yeah. That's, our, that's We could, uh, that could be our gimmick in the beginning of every show. Brought, yeah, to exactly. by, brought to you by the best looking man in Hollywood, Gregory Scott Cummins. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Because I could basically fund you by you saying how good looking I am a whole bunch of times. Yes, yes. You just gave us your address so I know where to send the invoice. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You exactly. could be expecting a Blood Games DVD very shortly. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Greg, this has been awesome, man. And we're actually, hey, we've been going quite a while. We're, yeah. We might cut this into two parts, if that's all right with you. Absolutely. Give Absolutely. You a two-parter. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, this has been uh, great, man. Hey, you guys are wonderful. I looked at a whole bunch of your stuff before we did the interview here. I, you guys are great. You're hilarious. You're fun. And, uh, and incredibly good-looking, too. Not on my level, <laughs> but close. 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 Thank you, thank you, and yeah. uh, and that's the most important thing. Most but important uh, thing. yeah, but I I uh, so I was looking forward to this interview because I knew you guys you guys would be fun. So thank uh, you, man. Yeah, this was so, uh, this was fun, and, man. And I wish you the best of luck and continued success. You guys are really moving along. You're getting a lot of good people uh, and stuff and interviews, and I I just see you guys just going and going and going with this. So that's I, wonderful to hear. And I just, I just had a fun time. It was like a party being here. I don't drink alcohol anymore, so I'm going with my Gatorade. But otherwise, I, I'd be. This is like, like a party. Yeah. Fellas, I need to step out. I got a hot meal. Okay, All right, brother. I got you. All right. All right. Thank okay. you so much. I didn't mean to end the party, but uh, no, 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 no. We had East to end Coast. I'm starving. And it's late for you guys too. So uh, yeah. you guys take care. We'll stay in touch. That'd be I great. Had fun. I had fun. Thank so you, Greg. Me. Means the world okay. to us, buddy. All right. Thanks. I appreciate Bye-bye. it. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.